Come, let us bless the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us worship God. God be gracious to us and bless us and make God's face to shine upon us, that your way may be known upon the earth, your saving power among the nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, has blessed us. May God continue to bless us. Let all the ends of the earth revere the Lord. 
From the foundation of the world, you have destined us in love, gracious giver of our days. In the fullness of time, you revealed our destiny in Jesus Christ, merciful redeemer of our lives gone awry. On our way from here to there, you stopped us and turned us clean around in our tracks, relentless spirit, pursuer of a people. Hear our thanksgiving for never giving up on us, our praise for your use of our broken parts, our gratitude for calling us out and into the fellowship-creating reality of Christ's church, and so into the room you have made for us in your love, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Grace and peace to you, and welcome to the First Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, both those of us gathered here in this sanctuary, as well as everyone worshiping in other locations. We are glad and grateful to gather in the name of the Lord. And because it is in Christ's name that we have gathered, that means that our word of welcome is one that is extended with absolutely no qualifying adjectives whatsoever. All are welcome in Christ's house, and all are welcome, indeed all are valued here at First Church. We'd like to ask everyone, members and guests alike, please to sign the friendship pad, which you will find on the inside edge of your pew. If you would be so kind as to sign the pad and send it down and back again, we will have the advantage of each other's names at the conclusion of this service. And likewise, I'd like to invite everyone, members and guests alike, to a time of fellowship in Old Buttonwood Hall. Our deacons have prepared light refreshments, but most importantly, we have the opportunity to engage more deeply with one another in our common life together. Old Buttonwood Hall is just out this door to my right and down a very short ramp. I'd love to see you in there as we gather after worship. Because it is the first Sunday of the month, our TNTs, our 20s and 30s, will depart from Old Buttonwood Hall to go to brunch together. So if you are 20 or 30 and would like to take part in that, just find Elaine Hanby. She's wearing a lime green sweater. And find her in Old Buttonwood Hall, and she will include you in that group as well. You'll see a notice in your bulletin about a time capsule that's going to be placed in the church's vault on All Saints Sunday as part of our celebration of our 325th anniversary. If you have a story to tell about First Church or an artifact you think will be demonstrably different 25 years from now when that time capsule is unsealed, Karen Marston would love to hear from you. Her email address is in the bulletin. We'd like to get our younger members interviewing our older members so that we can span generations as we put together this time capsule to be open on the 350th anniversary of this congregation's founding. You'll see as well we need volunteers for Zia, and you'll also find on the reverse of the hymn insert a, a, a flyer about an upcoming concert which promises to be a wonderful opportunity. With all of these things noted, let us now continue our worship with our confession of sin. The Apostle Paul writes, When you were buried with Christ in baptism, you were also raised with him through faith in the power of God who raised Jesus from the dead. And when you were dead in trespasses, God made you alive together with him who forgives us all our trespasses. Let us therefore with confidence together confess our sins first as one people and then in silence. Let us pray. Holy God, may we remember our own baptism as we prepare to celebrate at the font. Remind us that we belong to you in eternity. Remind us that you call us and claim us and seal us to show that we belong to you. Remind us that just as Christ was raised from the dead, so we too are invited to walk in newness of life. Remind us of these things, because sometimes our faith feels fleeting. We fret over whether we will be able to believe good news in our darkest moments. Forgive our anxious fears, and let us once more live in the place you have prepared for us in your own heart.
God who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which God loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By faith, by grace, you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show us the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. Believe in the promise of the gospel. In Jesus Christ we are forgiven. Psalter lesson is from the 31st Psalm. With the help of God's Holy Spirit, listen for God's word to us this day. In you, O Lord, I seek refuge. Do not let me ever be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. You are indeed my rock and my fortress. For your name's sake, lead me and guide me. Take me out of the net that is hidden for me. You are my refuge. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. My times are in your hand. Deliver me from the hand of my enemies and persecutors. Let your face shine upon your servant. Save me in your steadfast love. And the epistle lesson from 1 Peter, the second chapter. Like newborn infants, long for pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Come to him, 
a living stone, though rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious in God's sight. And like living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. For it stands in scripture, See, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. To you then who believe, he is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the very head of the corner and a stone that makes them stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Thanks be to God. John 14, 1 through 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, so that where I am, there you also may be. And you know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will know my Father also. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and we will be satisfied. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and you still do not know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say... Show us the Father. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own, but the Father who dwells in me does his work. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, but if you do not, then believe me because of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and in fact will do greater works than these, because I am going to the Father. I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If in my name you ask me for anything, I will do it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Almighty, eternal God, grant now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts may be acceptable, even pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. When Fred Craddock retired from preaching, teaching homiletics at Emory University, he became involved in a new church development for his denomination, the Disciples of Christ. The church was in the mountains of North Georgia in a little town called Perry Log, and naturally, having such an illustrious preacher, after a few years, they inevitably published a book of his sermons. Now, one of the great truths about preaching is that sometimes the best preachers make dreadful pastors and vice versa. So what I love about this particular book of sermons is that it combines the technique of a master of the art of preaching with the tenderness of a parish pastor. In one sermon in the collection, Craddock makes an unusual confession. He wrote, I want to tell you something unusual, something peculiar. We've been together for two years now, and I can talk peculiar if I want to. One of the difficulties I had when I was in parish ministry before going into teaching was that I had this notion, and he said, you can laugh anytime this seems appropriate, that people in a congregation had such a deep bond that they missed each other when they were absent. Craddock goes on with what I would characterize as a mild guilt trip. In fact, I thought the congregational bond was so deep that people would not be absent from church unless it was just necessary, unless they were sick or something. On almost every Saturday night, I would picture the congregation in my mind and visualize where everybody sat. Then on Sunday morning, I would get up to preach, and there would be this one absent or that one absent. You know what I assumed? I assumed they must be sick. So that afternoon, I would call to see how they were feeling. It never occurred to me after years of ministry that they might have been fishing or picnicking or sleeping or boating on the lake. I had the feeling that Christian people have a bond so deep that if one person is absent, a lot of people hurt. I had the notion that if I missed a Sunday, everybody would miss me. And then if you missed a Sunday, we would miss you. So it's not a matter of saying, are we going to church or not? Because we have this bond. That is the way I thought. Well, I can assure you that I labor under no such illusions. The world has turned. Church sociologists tell us that what constitutes regular church attendance has shifted from missing no more than one Sunday a month to being regular if you attend one Sunday of the month. And to be fair, we have, we have live streams, we have podcasts, we have myriad ways that our members can absorb spiritual nourishment at different times during the week. That's all true. But I can tell you that I know where each of you sit. And I notice if you are absent. What's more, you know where each other sit. And you are aware if one of us goes missing. As I noted in this month's messenger, when people linger in fellowship hour, it's because they love one another and want to be together with one another, which is what makes our deacons work to bring us together so vital to the life of this congregation. When we pour our lives into one another's lives, we belong to one another. We belong to the church. We belong to God. Baptism is the sacrament of belonging. 
In their marvelous book, Belonging to God, a commentary on the brief statement of faith, the late David Willis and William Claker wrote, the assurance of belonging to God redefines other meanings of belonging. What ties us to God, what in fact makes a scattering of individuals into a people who think of themselves as God's people, is God's covenantal initiative that reaches out to them in love. We belong to God. And in belonging to God, we belong to one another. That is church. And even though the church is yet to be born in this passage we read from John today, the call of Jesus to his disciples was to belong to God and to belong to one another, which is what makes these verses from John so very poignant. Because the deeper the bond, the more painful the departure. There is a great consistency among biblical scholars that despite the fact that we readily divide up this chapter and its subsequent ones into digestible chunks, with this portion, by the way, so often read at funeral services, chapters of 14 to 16 of John's gospel narrative are really indivisible. They are a cohesive thought. They're meant to be taken together along with the 17th chapter. They form a prologue to, John, to Jesus' departure from the disciples, a, a departure that will be marked, as he has often said, with suffering and death. But before the events that led to his death, Jesus taught what they will need to know when he is no longer with them. He teaches them about truth, about connection, about love, about how to face the hardships of life and the hardships that a life of faith may hold for them. It is a prologue to departure, but before that happens, Jesus will pray for his disciples. In chapter 17, he prays for believers generally, but specifically for these disciples whom he called, whom he loved. These words from John, do not let your hearts be troubled, believe in God, I go to prepare a place for you, are a prologue to prayer. And when the prayer has ended, Jesus is arrested. What would you say to the ones you love the most if you knew that your departure was imminent? What would I say to you if I anticipated something might happen to me and this might be my last time in this pulpit, I'd probably say something to you about belonging to one another, loving one another. I want you to know that I love you and that I have prayers for you. I want you to know that you belong to God and you belong to one another. What would you say in such a moment? You know that old corollary, the most important conversations take place when we are standing in the doorway ready to leave. We're in the driveway with the car window rolled down, the car idling while we say those things that are most on our hearts. Threshold moments offer a timeliness to what we say because when we are done, the time then comes to leave. What would you say to the ones you love best? The deeper the sense of belonging, 
the more profound the sense of loss. Jesus knew that. He knew that and he knew as well that his time with those he loved was coming to an end. He had things to say, a prologue to his departure, a prologue to a prayer. My dear friend Cynthia Jarvis, sitting across the chancel from me, offers this insight into what Jesus is teaching. He tells the disciples that the God on whom they may hang their hearts has room for them. Robert Jensen writes about God's roominess in relation not to the space, but to the time God has for us. What is time, Jensen asks? My answer is created time is room in God's own life. If creation is God making room in himself, then God must be roomy. This roominess of God should be thought of as his time, that God's eternity is not immunity to time, but his having all the time he needs. Cindy then concludes, <coughs> the metaphor of God's roominess as God's eternity is also worth remembering. What has troubled the disciples' hearts is the very real sense that their time with Jesus has come to an end. We have the same relationship to time. Its brevity robs us of those we love. Consider in the second place the metanoia that is God's grace to one who hangs her heart on the God who has all the time God needs for her and for those she loves. The place Jesus is preparing in God's own life is eternal life, which is simply another name for God. As we approach the sacrament of baptism, I am struck again by the truth of the words we say, that if we are united with Christ by baptism into a death like his, so too are we united with Christ in a resurrection like his. We have been buried by baptism into death so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. In baptism, we celebrate that we belong to God and are joined with Christ and with one another. And of course, anything that disrupts that belonging naturally causes us to feel off-center, akimbo, disoriented, as no doubt we can all recall. In a piece in Forbes magazine in January of 2021, Tracy Brower wrote, Belonging is, of course, that feeling of connectedness to a group or community. It's the sense that you are a part of something. You feel attached, close and thoroughly accepted by your people. But belonging is more than just being part of a group. Belonging is also critically tied to social identities, to a shared belief or ideal. To truly feel a sense of belonging, you must feel unity in the common sense of character with and among the members of your group. Is it any wonder then that the Surgeon General has recently noted that loneliness is as great a threat to physical health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. And to that, God gives us belonging. Belonging is what God gives us, and belonging is how we give ourselves to others. And if that is sidelined or lost, we feel it. And Jesus knew that. As prologue to a prayer, he comforted his disciples in a word that speaks to the truth of God's expansiveness and God's inclusiveness. Life is a gift. God gives us this gift of time and then God makes time for us in God's eternity. Life is a gift of communion. 
to be with one another and to be Christ to one another. Life is a gift of belonging, to know that we are not alone and that in Jesus Christ we will never be alone. Life is a gift of prayer, to open one's heart to the outpouring of God's graciousness of being. The Apostle Paul tells us to pray without ceasing. And I wonder if what he means is not that we should be sitting around with our hands folded, but rather that we should orient our lives so completely to the eternal that there is no separation between us. When that is life, baptism is prolonged to a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Representing the session, Elder Susie Christians will bring our newest candidate for baptism. <clears throat> Hear the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Here as well, these words from Holy Scripture. Do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him by baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. 
The promise is for you, for your children, for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls. Obeying the word of our Lord Jesus and confident of his promises, we baptize those whom God has called. In baptism, God claims us and seals us to show that we belong to God. God frees us from sin and death, uniting us with Jesus Christ in his death and resurrection. By water and the Holy Spirit, we are made members of the church, the body of Christ, and joined to Christ's ministry of love, peace, and justice. Let us remember with joy our own baptism, even as we celebrate this sacrament. On behalf of the session, I present Madeline Louise Keyes, daughter of James and Carrie Keyes, to receive the sacrament of baptism. Carrie and James, in presenting your daughter for baptism, it is right that you should make public answer to these questions. First, do you desire that she should be baptized? Relying on God's grace, do you promise to live the Christian faith and teach that faith to your child? Do you, as members of the Church of Jesus Christ, promise to guide and nurture Madeline by word and deed, with love and prayer, encouraging her to know and follow Christ and to be faithful members of his church? If so, please respond by saying, we do. Through baptism, we enter the covenant that God has established. Within this covenant, God gives us new life, guards us from all evil, and nurtures us in love. In embracing that covenant, we choose whom we will serve by turning from evil and turning to Jesus Christ. As God embraces your child within the covenant, I ask you for your sa her sake to reject sin, to profess your faith in Christ Jesus, and to confess the faith of the church, the faith in which we baptize. Therefore, let us together stand and confess the faith of the church. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Lord, please be seated. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Let us pray. We give you thanks, eternal God, for you nourish and sustain all living things by the gift of water. In the beginning of time, your spirit moved over the watery chaos, calling forth order and life. In the time of Noah, you destroyed evil by the waters of the flood, giving righteousness a new beginning. You led Israel out of slavery through the waters of the sea and into freedom of the promised land. In the waters of the Jordan, Jesus was baptized by John and anointed with your spirit. By the baptism of his own death and resurrection, Christ set us free from sin and death and opened the way to eternal life. We thank you, O God, for the water of baptism. In it we are buried with Christ in his death. From it we are raised to share in his resurrection. Through it we are reborn by the power of the Holy Spirit. Send your spirit to move over this water that it may be a fountain of deliverance and rebirth. Wash away the sin of all who are cleansed by it. Raise Madeline to new life and graft her into the body of Christ. Pour out your Holy Spirit upon her that she may have the power to do your will and continue forever in the risen life of Christ. 
To you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, be all praise, honor, and glory, now and forever. Amen. What is the Christian name of your daughter? Madeline Louise, daughter of the covenant. I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. May God's blessing rest on you this day and every day hereafter. Amen. This is Madeline Louise. And she is the newest baptized member of the First Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia. And you today have made her an extraordinary promise. In a time when commitment seems sometimes to be in short supply, you have committed to her. You have promised that you will show her by the manner of your life, by what you say and by what you do, what it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. So as always, I admonish you, Take this promise with the utmost of seriousness. And I invite you once more to affirm your promise by standing and singing together the ironic blessing. Let yourselves be built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices, even tangible tithes and gifts, acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You are invited to come forward during the offertory, after the service, or online.
accept the gifts of our hands and the thankfulness of our hearts for the sake of your rain, rain made manifest in lives so in need of tangible evidence that your love has triumphed over death. In Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Let us pray. O Holy One, on whom we alone may hang our hearts, O Compassionate One, whose mercy is able to bear the weight of our woes, O Comforting One, who has promised never to leave us orphaned or lonely, hear our thanksgiving, our praise, our gratitude for the room you have created in your three-personed love for us. Remembering that once we were no people, but now we are your people. We thank you for gathering us in this place of hard pews and air of an earthen vessel. For your word proclaimed and sung week in and week out. For this mess of humanity within us and by our sides, to whom we belong. For these dear hearts who notice when we are among the missing, for your living word, lurking in the spaces between us, in the waters of baptism, at the table of grace, in the silent sighs of prayer, or in the resounding chords of rejoicing, calming our fears, picking up the pieces of our lives, binding us one to another over and over again. For the gift of your church visible, dear God, we thank you. We thank you as well for the church invisible, for those who do not call upon your name but who are used of you for the sake of your kingdom come, for the many who have seen you hungry and fed you, naked and clothed you, imprisoned and visited you, forsaken and befriended you, yet knew you not. Even so, we pray for those your visible church has failed to see, the sick we have not tended, the prisoner we have not visited, the homeless we have not sheltered, the hungry we have not fed, the oppressed we have not championed, the elderly we have forgotten, the children we have abandoned. Chasten us, dear God, and turn us who belong to one another in this place, toward those who dwell beyond our doors, until in them we see the face of Jesus Christ. Finally, gracious Savior, who has gone before us in all things, we beseech you for our fearful selves. Whatever it may mean for your church to bear witness to death, defeat, and love's triumph in a nation gone mad with guns, grant that we, who do not know the way without you, will dare the first step toward you traveling together on the road that is clean contrary to all that we choose or contrive or desire, the road whose destiny is the love for which we were made, the love given us for another, the love that will not let a one of us go. We ask these things in your name, even as we pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy kingdom come, Thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
daddy belongs to God. You belong to God. Therefore, you belong to Maddie. And God has made room in God's eternity for us all. So go now and begin living that promise. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance on you and those you love and give you peace, both this day and forevermore. Amen. Mm -hmm.